0: Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone. If you are wondering, on the Facebook page, on the post side, guest posts, this paper is there. If you want to look at it, we're going to follow it pretty much line by line. And we're going to continue in the pastor's sermon series here on Revelation, we're going to focus a little bit between Revelation 2 and 10 and kind of bookend those pieces as he's getting ready to bring us to kind of the peak of Revelation in chapter 11. And uh, we're going to try and do a little tying together, but we're also going to pay a little bit of attention to today and uh, where we are in this time and place and this oddity that we're in. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer before we really get fully started our lord and father thank you so much for your immense love for us we thank you in this world of changes and confusion and disappointments that you remain with us in it that you won't abandon us in trouble and we ask you lord to help us see your part in this is jesus really next and is that the right question for us to be considering in this time? In Jesus' name we pray and we ask the Holy Spirit to fill. Amen. Well, I think the obvious point, but I think maybe depending on where I'm going, I think I need to leave us grounded and to say that we are indeed, this. most of us in this group that gather together, we're Adventists it's in our very name that Jesus is coming back. That we don't think that that's some sort of uh, uncertainty. We believe he's really coming back. In 1 Thessalonians 4.16, we believe that Jesus rise and rose again and that God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive will remain until the coming of the Lord, who will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, and with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And these who are alive, we who are alive and remain, shall be caught up together them within the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and therefore comfort one another with these words. That's a foundational understanding for us, that Jesus will come back, those that are asleep will be raised, and the rest of us will join them in the clouds in the air. Paul also writes about this in 1 Corinthians 15, that we're corruptible, our bodies are broken, sown in weakness, but when you get raised, you're going to be raised as a spiritual body, that there's a natural body and a spiritual body. And a little down, a few furthers down, it says, we shall not all sleep. We shall be changed in a moment with the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised uncorruptible, and we shall be changed, those of us that remain. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, mortal must put on immortality, so that when this corruption has been put on incorruption, the mortal is put on immortality, the death will be swallowed up in victory. And in Acts, they say, the same way that he left, he's coming back. And there's a group of people there. Men of Galilee... That are there looking up at Jesus who left. And he says, He's going to come back that same very way. That is a foundational belief that we tie to. It's in our name. When the beginning folks tried to pick a name of our club, that we would be Seventh day Adventists. That Advent is in our very name. Jesus is coming back in this physical way, and I'm not against that at all. But what keeps coming up from time to time, and you'll see in your margin notes there on the side, and I'm not going to discuss it at all, but there comes from time to time people saying, well, when is he coming back? And there's been plenty of people And I'm telling you plenty of people who have given us direction of when he's coming back. This list that I put down, (laughs) my friends, I'm not even close to who's telling you who knows when he's coming back. And they've picked date after date after date. And even now, in the last few months, we've got plenty of people shouting about end times and talking to us about Jesus is coming back. And yet, what does the Bible tell us about that? I mean, have they been paying attention to Scripture? I mean, the most, I think the one anybody who comes to church more than a week or two can quote Matthew 24 that says, but of the day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. I mean, if you've, been in Sunday school or Sabbath school for five minutes. This verse has come up. Almost anybody can quote it, and off they go, still making their predictions. A few verses down, Jesus says the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and the hour he's not aware of. And I have to say a little bit that if you'd have talked to me in early January, and said, Daryl, what do you think the big story of 2020 is? And Ida said, well, the fires in Australia are ridiculously terrible. I have a friend who lives in Tasmania, which is an island just below Australia. And the rest of the world was also discussing how big and how fierce these fires have been. And I would draw on the memories of Dave Caruso from this church and my own past job, that the fires in California, at least, over the last 10 or 15 years have been bigger and longer and stronger and more. Fire season is no longer five months or six months. It's pretty much year-round. So that's definitely going to be one of the biggest stories in 2020. I'm pretty pretty certain of that, that that's going to be something we're going to spend a lot of Time And, oh, wait a minute, we're going to have an election coming up, at least in America. So we're definitely, I mean, we're going to have all these primaries and people flying around in rallies. And we're going to put a lot of energy through to at least August that's going to be nonstop news about meeting after meeting after meeting and place after place after place where people tell truth and lies about each other so they can get elected. And I mean on both teams. I'm not trying to pick a team here. I'm just saying, it's just the noise that's going to happen. I can pretty much put pennies down on a bet for that. That's all we're going to be doing. <clears throat> and the stock market is strong. The economy is strong. There's absolutely nothing to worry about there. Unemployment's at record lows. Everything is fine. What could possibly bring unemployment to the numbers of the 1930s? Seriously. I mean, we've had dips before. Uh, I mean, we've had dips before. Nothing could ever, you know, draw us to unemployment of 20%. I mean, we've done so much. There's no way. That's me in January, friends. And so like this verse, I think, it comes as a surprise that suddenly everything that we're doing, I'm becoming a germaphobe. I was talking to my cousin the other day. We're taking tissue paper to hold a gas pump handle. Really? I'd have been mocking that person last year. I'd have been making fun of that person last year, who's, you know, putting a tissue paper over your hand before you open every door that you meet and wipes the seat. There was an old TV show called Frasier, and his brother was constantly wiping and cleaning everything. Can you imagine what it's going to look like when we start sitting back in restaurants or people in airplanes now? They're, They're nilesing their airplane seat with these sanitary wipes over and over the whole flight and staring at the person right next to them. This person is trying to kill me with their... Breath. So instead of breath mints now, we, none of us have to worry about how our breath smells. We just got to spray our neighbor with sanitizer and make sure no one's close enough. You don't ever have to brush your teeth anymore. As long as you've got sanitizer, you can just squirt your neighbor. Hopefully, they'll move over a seat. I dare say, even when we come back to church in a few weeks, I hope, we're not going to be sitting in every pew. Probably for a little bit when we come back, it'll be every other pew. Maybe we'll host some of our children in there to make sure you wash your hands. Because if there's anything I know, at least my cousin and I have observed, the guys don't wash their hands, but the kids seem to. So maybe we can appoint some children police to make sure everyone's washing their hands as they leave the bathroom, get some control. But nonetheless, in 1 Thessalonians, we're at the bottom of this first page. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, concerning concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. We have lots of scriptures about this, friends. And We should get out of trying to predict something that God has told us repeatedly. Look, this is my business. God isn't handling this business. And you trying to put darts on your calendar is not where your energy should be focused. Nonetheless, we have plenty of people working that side of the street, and they can pick the dates and tell us about that. I'm going to talk about Something other than that. Because I think our time on that is not as productive. I think there's something more useful that we can focus on because I'll tell you, and I say this to the kids that are watching, I've been around a bit, I've been around a lot, but I've been around the sun a few times. And this end of the world, this is the last week, has come more than once in my own lifetime of what are we going to do after 9-11, What are we going to do after the stock market crash? What are we going to do after the savings and loan? What are we going to do? This guy got elected, America is over. This guy got elected, America is over. I've been through this end of the business a bit. So it may feel like to you that this is really it. And honestly, this may be it, by the way. I have no idea. I'm telling you, I have no idea. I agree with all those verses. This may be it, I have no idea. But I don't think that that's really where our energy belongs, for us. And so we're going to flip to the back of the page, and work our way through that a little more slowly and deliberately. And I, I I'm, you know, I kind of wonder if I'm going to tread into dangerous territory here because I'm going to let you in on a little secret, and and. Some of you are going to say, well, duh. But a few of you are going to go, what? Because we're working in this world that people are saying, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And people like Pastor Mel or Pastor D. Ray or Brian or Jim Brewster or me, I think would tell you, Jesus is already here. We're not really, I mean, more than us, but I think a lot of people in our group aren't, I mean, we are waiting for him to come in the sense that I've said, we are. That, I mean, we're not saying that isn't true, and we've spent some time on that, but I would tell you that he is already here. And I think to spend your time on one thing or the other, I think this is the thing to spend more of our time on, is that Jesus is here now. And how is that? And if you don't understand that, how can you get connected to that? Because if you're connected to Jesus right now, what's happening around you, what's happening to you, what's happening to the world around you, doesn't carry as much weight. It isn't as heavy. You can be more peaceful in troubled times. And this has been what Pastor Mel is trying to help us see in the book of Revelation. And in last week's sermon, when he talked over those four chapters, he was talking about the troubles explained in the trumpets. And those troubles in the trumpets, you don't have to read that as though they are coming, though they are. They have come to every generation. There has been death. There has been hunger. There have been people struggling all along the way. The world hasn't been just running great and it's going to have trouble. If you want to be a hair cutter right now, you don't have a job. But if you live in some parts of Africa, you haven't had a job in 25 years. If you're living in a shelter place in Syria right now in a cardboard and metal village with a gate around it, your kids don't have school, you don't have a job, and there's no country that wants you as a refugee, and you can't go back to where you used to live because those people have taken over your house and planned to kill you. So the trouble in the trumpets, friends, have happened, are happening, and will happen. So we don't have to wonder and wait if the trumpets are next on our list. They're already on our list. For many of us, they're happening today. And some of us are in a season where they're not happening, I suppose. But where's our response? And if we look further in Thessalonians, Paul says in 5 to 9 to 11, God did not appoint us to wrath. It's not our job to be angry about this. So as people come on and you hear people talking about things, and if they're angry about things, I have to put a pause in my own mind because Jesus has told Paul and shared with us that God did not appoint us to wrath. Our role is to get salvation through Jesus who died for us. And whether we're awake or asleep, we should live together with him. Not that we will live. We should right now. And that word in sometimes can be written abide, to dwell, to be joined with him. And we should comfort each other in that thought, friends. We don't have to be afraid that we're alone and Jesus will come back someday to be with us. But he's already here. In Colossians 27, 127, God willed to make known the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. So the people that aren't in this, and it may be some of the people that are listening to me, I hear you, and I don't say that you're Gentiles in a dirty label that I'm trying to keep you from us. But there are people that know this joy, and there are people that don't. And I'm telling you, friends, all of you are my friends, that this mystery for us that know this, that there is a life with Christ in us, in us, that gives us hope of God's glory that can happen around you right now and will redeem this world that is so, so sadly broken. And you ask yourself the question then, is Christ in you? And if he is, your body is dead of sin, but the spirit in life because of righteousness This isn't a life of you being good enough. This is a life of Jesus in you. The good that comes out of you is Jesus in you having good things happen. And I tell this to Sandy all the time. If I'm being nice to her, it's Jesus. If I'm doing something right, it's Jesus. And if I'm being an idiot and a moron, and friends, I do that too. That's all Daryl. I got that all figured out. That's me without Jesus. And we have these moments in our lives where we get frustrated. We might get angry. We might say something that we shouldn't. And we get, Satan loves to put guilt on us. And shame in that space. And Satan says, you're screwing up. You're out. God can't love you. You are unlovable. And I'm telling you, friends, that ain't it. Just ask yourself in that case Jesus, where are we going? Because all that's happened is Jesus wanted to walk with you somewhere else. And the Bible says, We've walked, but we be agreed. So Jesus doesn't put a dog collar on you and lead you by a leash. You're not his puppy. You're not his dog. You're not one of his chickens in the sense that you have to be led by a leash. You're one of his chickens out in the yard. You get to walk around in the yard. And some of that choosing gets to be your choosing. It's okay. Go do whatever you want. You want to pick and scratch in the dirt? Knock yourself out. I'll call you when I need you. And there are times when you get laser-focused that this is a moment God wants me on. I know this moment right now. I've got a moment to work with God in this moment. An hour ago, Mr. Nutjob, right? I wasn't wholly on God's moment. So in your normal life, you don't know every single possible moment that God has dictated a life for you that you just have to follow the script like in a movie. I have to say this, I have to do that. Where are my marks on the stage? God's a director of my life and I can't do anything until I've pre-posed it. That isn't the Christian life. And some people think that's sort of how it is. They're just waiting for God to dictate every moment of their life. You get to keep your free will with Jesus. You don't have to give up being you. He just wants you being better. Not not, not be you. My cousin who's visiting for this week, he's got this thing over his house and it's all tarnished. And we were discussing how to make it look right, get the tarnish off of it. But the one thing he never talked about is how he's going to change it. How he's going to get rid of it. All he wants to do is to put some abrasion on it and get the crud off of it so it can shine in its beauty and its glory and then how to protect it so it doesn't get tarnished again. But he isn't at all about changing it and saying, you can't be beautiful the way you are. I'm going to change you into something else. The Christian experience with Jesus is that experience the opportunity to get the tarnish off of you, and sometimes that takes some elbow grease. It's a little painful for you, and I guarantee you, friends, it's hard work on Jesus. Jesus' elbows are going to get sore, helping you shine. But He isn't trying to change you. He's trying to make you as beautiful as you're designed to be. And then to protect you so that you can stay beautiful. So when I ask you and I invite you in this life where Christ lives in you, it's not a life of drudgery and pain and forcing on you like you're living in a prison and you're being ordered when you eat, you're being ordered when you have recreation, you're being ordered to what you do. That's not the life we're telling you. It's a life being more free and more beautiful and more released to have abundant life. And sometimes God can do things for you in really odd ways. In ways that you don't pray for. And there's plenty to pray for, and we're super excited that some of the people that we prayed for, like Jim and Grace and their family, have gotten very, very sick, and have gotten well. And we're super excited about God working in prayers like that. That our workers that are working in health care and other people that are treating people, that God is protecting them, and the ones that have gotten sick have gotten care. We see God answering those prayers. But some of you, especially the kids, I suppose, in the third, fourth, and fifth grade, have been on my boat. We've gone out as a class, and... We've towed you around with our tube. When I first bought that boat, I bought it maybe four years ago. It was a kind of an old boat, and I called my friend Bobby and had him work on it, make sure it was safe to use. And it has this little rubber thing that makes the water keep the motor cool, this impeller. And it had never been changed. And there were two missing pieces. They'd broken off. They were somewhere in the motor. And there was a chance that they would ruin the motor. But Bobby, well, honestly, I didn't want to pay Bobby to take the whole motor apart. Let's be fair. So Bobby looked where he could, found one of the pieces. The other piece was missing. And we sort of just hoped that it it worked its way out. You know, because I didn't want to pay for his time to find it. So he took out the bad piece, put in a new impeller this rubber thing where the two pieces were broken and that other piece was lost we hoped it worked its way out of the motor fine and many of you kids have been on that boat we've gone up and down the lake and yanked you around on the flotation stuff it's been fun and hopefully this summer we'll do it again if not this summer we'll do it next summer for sure but anyway last week um i had my boat bobby was looking at it again and it wasn't keeping the temperature correctly. And the thing that regulates that, it's called a thermo, uh, thermostat, had come apart, completely broken and come apart, and was on its way. And if those metal pieces had worked their way through the motor, they would have ruined the motor. And Bobby, when he was checking my boat, getting it ready, said, I saw that it was just staying cool, and it's supposed to get warm, and it didn't get warm. And I and I expected to get warm, so I thought the thermostat wasn't good. And when I looked for it, the thermostat wasn't there. It was like in all of its little pieces trying to go through my motor. And it goes around this corner, makes a turn, and then goes in a turn. And do you know what it ran into? It ran into that lost piece of rubber we couldn't find. That lost little bit of rubber was sitting on the last part of the motor going, Hold on! Keeping that thermostat from breaking my motor. Bobby went in there, fished it all out, and said, oh, by the way, I found the other impeller piece. It was holding back all those metal pieces on its way to my motor. It's been waiting there four years, saying, something bad's going to happen. I'll just wait here. Bobby can't see me, but something bad's going to happen, and I'm going to be right here. And so Bobby fished out all the pieces of my thermostat, and thankfully, that missing rubber piece that I was unhappy about not finding, friends, what I thought was an unanswered prayer four years ago, when God said, no, you can't get both of those rubber pieces. And I would sit there and wonder, does God answer prayer? only to find out that that unanswered prayer was a future prayer that I didn't even know I should make. I made no prayer, God, please save my motor if the thermostat breaks. You know what I mean? There's good room for prayer. There's good room to talk to God, even about whatever you're mad about. There's good room for all of that. Be mad and talk to God about it. Be happy and talk to God about it. Tell Him what you want. Tell Him what you think you need. But trust me when I tell you, whether you're asking or not, God is good. God is doing good for you. God is taking care of you. Even as Satan and the principalities in power are trying to lie to you about the goodness of God, and God is not helping you, and God doesn't care about you, and God is mad at you and hates you. That's not how he is. So don't listen to those clowns because they're trying to pull you out. Galatians 2.20, we're about the middle of the page. I'm sorry, I just went on a total, who knows where that was. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If we're trying to get oriented, and you're trying to go, well, I'm going to have Christ live in me. I'm going to try harder to have Jesus live in me. This isn't anything you can do. This isn't anything you're not doing enough. This isn't a list that I want to give you to follow. What I'm asking you is to try to get a little bit of thought, a little bit of your time and attention on how much the Son of God loves you. That's what I'm asking you to try and choose. To make a choice to think about how much God loves you. That no matter how many sins that you've committed, you could have murdered somebody moses did lots of people have and god loves them he doesn't want murder to happen but he wants you to know the depth and width and the fullness of his love he wants to fill you with that and so i'm asking you if you would to do something whatever do something means. I, I see a lot about people giving us advice about what to do. And we become very good do-listers. And that still doesn't always bring us to the right place. I mean, good habits are good for their own sake. But to really know God and how much he loves you, I think, is something to think about. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7. It is God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness who shone in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And many of us have a story about how we found faith or we found God and how we were in a this or hiding in a that. But friends, as much as the sun is shining every day, whether it's a cloudy day or not, the sun is always shining and God is always showing Goodness to us. Oh, by the way, and we've wondered about this. I mean, we want to go visit the sun. Obviously, folks think we should go at night. But the problem with that idea, obviously, the sun's shining on the other side of the earth, that's all. The sun hasn't gone down. I mean, we think about that. We think about how the sun and earth works. We talk about the sun rising and the sun going down as though the sun is the thing that's changing. Because we just can't admit we're the one basically approaching the sun and leaving it behind. It's the earth spinning that makes that happen. The sun is constantly there. And that lesson is for us, that God is always loving. Whether we want to face him and feel that love, or we want to turn our backs on him and not see it. It doesn't mean that he has stopped loving even as we may not feel it. 2 Corinthians 13.5, the first half of that verse says, Examine yourselves whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Christ is in you? And this is something that happens to people that are already in here. That sometimes, even if you've understood this, that you can feel a little lost. And I'll tell you, me personally, I mean, I have some mental illness and there are many times that I feel separated from God, that I don't feel connected to him deeply inside, that I feel that I am a lost person. And it feels very true to me, but that doesn't make it true, friends. If I'm hiding underneath something in the darkness or I'm in a hole or a cave and it's very dark there and no light is in and I live in that in my mental illness, that's a very true place for me. Inside that place, I have to cling to a promise like I will never leave you nor forsake you. I have to know that the sun is still shining somewhere even if it isn't shining on me directly, God loves whether I feel it or not. 1 Thessalonians 5, this is on the bottom of the page and then we're going to skip back up. We read this part a bit, but you are all sons of light and sons of the day. And we who are of the day, in this version says be sober, meaning being focused, discreet, watch, connect, and put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So in our message, if we want to be of God's people, this is what the message looks like. Faith, love, hope of salvation. This is just before that bit about God did not appoint us to wrath. And believe me, friends, the Christian wrath side of the street is well covered. And I would submit to you it's not our side of the street. I would submit to you that our side of the street is faith, love, and the hope of salvation. I think that's our side of the street. I think Scripture's clear what side of the street we should be on that god did not appoint us to wrath not to scare people why they belong with jesus or that god's just waiting to kill them that's not our bit our bit is love we are so overwhelmingly filled with god that we just want you to have that as well i mean it's it's like really good pie I know there's a case to hoard it and keep it for yourself. But sometimes the pie is so good you can't hoard it. You have to go to someone else and go, take a taste of this, take a taste. Of this. I don't want it. Take a taste, take a taste, take I don't I don't want the pie. That's good pie, it's good pie, it's good pie. I don't want the pie. I'll take the pie. That's a story of Sandy in my life, by the way. She has a bit of a sweet tooth. My tooth's not that sweet. I mean, it's good pie. I mean, I think ice cream and whipped cream, and those are all fine things at a distance. Sandy, you know, we have two handles on the faucet. One's for hot water, one's for whipped cream. You know, I mean, she's got a sweet tooth, it's true. But you're compelled. You're driven to share this because it's so amazing that you can't keep it all. It has to be shared. It's so good, you have to share it. And so we get to the meat now of Ephesians 3, 17 through 20, which was the Scripture reading today. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith friends, he can live in here. And we can't prove it in this scientific way. But there are people who know this to be connected and true. It's by faith. But it comes from a place of you being rooted and grounded in love. That's the the pit, the center of this thing, of being in Christ, with Christ, Jesus here now. It isn't grounded in that tribe I should hate. This group's not us. We don't like them. They're worse than us. Those are ministries of wrath, friends. People don't belong here. People don't deserve to be here. These people aren't... They're all our people. Everybody here are our people that we're to love. And the labels, Syrian, Muslim, Jew, Greek, Gentile, not Adventist, Christian, not Christian, whatever the label, wicked, lost, that's not us. We're just about love. That's our groundedness. That's our center, is love. And from a center of love, the love of God for you. If you find that place, and that's the only thing I'm really talking about now. This is really the only thing I want you focused. The only thing I want you to take a time out from everything else over is God's love for you. If you could put your head in that space, God's love for you. That one thing. Not the 28 fundamental beliefs. Not, gosh, I got to read the whole Bible. Not somebody's memorized more verses than me. But a place of what is God's love for you. If that's the world that you're in, you can comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ. That to know the Greek, and Pastor and Mel and I bounced through nineteen yesterday. He's he's got the Greek friends. You wanna if say if you say it's all Greek to you, I'm telling you it's all Greek to Mel. But to know, this to know is this deep connection. And if you read in the Hebrew, it's this Yada in Hebrew, this, if, if it was written not in Greek, but it was in Hebrew, it would likely be this word yada, this deep, interconnected, long relationship where you really know the essence of the people. And we have that with lifelong friends, like our cousins. We've known them almost 40 years. We know the people that they are. We just know them. We know what they're like. There isn't any sort of, oh, I didn't know that like sometimes you have with new friends, and young people, even though you've made known your friends five years so far, I've known them half my life, you'll learn a lot about people in 40 years. And it brings to you an understanding of them. And we want you to connect to the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. So we're talking about it's bigger than everything bigger than the Internet, bigger than the Library of Congress, bigger than the stars and the universe, bigger than everything. It's more than that, that you may be filled. See, if you know about the love of Jesus, all these other things are next then, right? You have to take a seed and soil and water. Eventually, we get a fruit tree and pick apples. And that's all well and good, but I'm not telling you to grow a tree and make apples. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this root idea that the soil of love with the knowledge of Jesus as a seed being watered by Christ, the rest of the stuff grows and happens. But that you may be filled. And that word filled isn't... And and I'm sort of like trying to... It's in English, right? You can look at this in six versions and you're going to get some word in the line of filled. But it isn't filled. Uh, um, it, it's you, you just. I can't really explain it to you unless you all travel with Sandy. Because it's like traveling with Sandy. A suitcase holds so much stuff. So much stuff. So imagine you're taking a trip like you all do and it's full of stuff and it's full and you're going to shut it. Now open the suitcase and take another half full of suitcase of stuff and get it in there. And get that all jammed in. And then it won't completely close, friends. You can see all the way around it. It won't completely close. Then add more stuff. Then sit on it and try to work the zipper around the suitcase. That's what traveling with Sandy is like. You get to put 50 pounds on a plane per bag. And Sandy thinks that's the minimum. I tried to tell her that's the most. She thinks it has to be 49 pounds. If it's 48, you get in trouble. Every suitcase has to hold 49 pounds. And when you open her suitcase, when you travel and you unzip that suitcase, you know eventually it's going to explode like a bucket full of snakes. This thing is waiting to come out. There's a suitcase and three quarters of stuff in there. That's what this filled is this filled with the fullness of God this filled is crammed in sandy style friends this is jammed in there is no room suck the air out and when it opens it's going to explode open that's what it is to be filled this isn't just a tall water glass full and spilling over. This is a seltzer bottle under pressure, exploding, that you may be filled. With the fullness of God. And again, the fullness of God is this, you know, like picture that you've seen, some of you. This fullness of God, where you have that picture of, of all the galaxies, and each one of the little smudges on the picture is like a whole galaxy, like the galaxy that we're in. It's it's over everything. The fullness of God, it is over everything. And if you have that, then you can do all this power and works and blah, 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 blah. blah. And I, I, the rest of that, plenty of other people talk about that. But to get to that, friends... And to get some assurance in this time in this place and this day. To feel like, yes, Jesus is coming again. Okay, I'm I'm happy about that. Because once Jesus does come again, we don't don't have to talk about COVID-19. We don't have to talk about paying the mortgage. We don't have to talk about being sick or any of those things. We don't have to talk about any of that. And that's a wonderful moment to come. I'm happy about that. I'm not at all dismissing it. I think it's wonderful. But between now and then, and the Bible's pretty clear, Daryl has no idea when that's happening, at least to Daryl. The rest of it, I think, is what do we do? And I think if you can really dwell on the love of God, you're at Revelation 10 where Pastor Mel has carried us so far. This mystery of God. This section that we're looking at right now is Paul writing to that first church in Revelation, in Revelation 2. The church of the first love that kind of lost that first love. And he's trying to pull them back to that here. Fundamentally, friends, at your troubled times or your good times or any other times, the core of you has to be about this love of Jesus. And if anything else in your life isn't in balance or in harmony... Then I dare ask you, where is Jesus right now? If you're ranting and crazy and angry at somebody who you love, I ask you, are you and Jesus together right now? Because I dare say, likely, you've walked away from Jesus. Because it's about what we can do with Jesus, with Jesus in us. Those are the things. And I'm not asking you to surrender yourself to be a robot or an autotron or someone who's in jail, but to be free to always be able to respond outside influences, internal influences well, because it is you, Jesus, together as the being that you've been built that you will be filled with this fullness of God who desperately, deeply loves you. And And the only way I can compare it, friends, is most of us, I think, have a mother. I'm not sure, but I would guess most of us have a mother. And I would grant, by the way, that some of us haven't had, we've had broken mothers. And I grant that. But in general, if you ask most kids at five, six, and seven, they have the best mother in the world. Apparently, you can sell more than one mug of that. You'd think there'd only be one, but apparently you can sell more than one of them. But I can tell you in my experience that if you try to mess with a mother's kid you find out what love is like. It's like reaching into the blender while it's running. It isn't a good experience if you try to touch one of mother's kids. And that's what God has for you. And if you get that a lot of other things get easy for you. A lot of other things get easy for you. So I would ask you not to be too focused on is all of this happening prove that Jesus is coming? Because he is coming back. I'm fine with that. He is coming back. But what is more helpful to you if you're feeling stress and trouble and disappointed right now is that you know the love of God, the love of Christ for you. Because if that's inside of you, like it's in some of us, and we are all happy to talk to you about that, by the way. If you want to talk to some of us about that, and you say, I don't know what that is, I don't feel that, I don't get that, then call us and talk to us. And later, we'll actually meet with you, if we're not meeting now, to share with you what that life looks like. Because we know it. We're living it, we're experiencing it, and sometimes we're failing at it but we know it, and that is helping us be at peace in troubled times. And I wish you all well, and I look forward to seeing you again. And um, we all love you desperately and deeply. Let's close our for prayer a minute. Our loving Jesus, I, I just ask one favor of you that you are bursting out to do that the people that hear this message, despite all the distractions and the tangents, get that you love them. That even as a little kid sings, Jesus loves me, this I know, that we never lose that. That we hear it from the kids and that we keep it as grumpy old grown-ups. That we get that Jesus loves me, This I know. And then all of these other things that come from the fullness of God that we want to happen and that we try to happen, that we can study better or we can learn more or we can be better husbands and wives and fathers and grandpas, that it can all come from a place that comes out of the love of Jesus that we can look to the good mothers that we've seen and the good grandmothers that we've seen, and even little girls who take care of their dollies, that there is a place where love is the thing that everything else follows from. And I ask that. Holy Spirit, the wonderful counselor, you can drive that into the open hearts and to the hearts that are closed, to the hearts that are medicated, to the hearts that are shielded and covered that we urge and grant and connect with them that they may open, that they may feel connected in your love for them and be able to choose what does fill and satisfy yesterday, today, and tomorrow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.